Our study on Sunday evenings for the few weeks is going to be from the subject of the book of Ecclesiastes. I've given the title to the series, Ponderings of the Preacher. The preacher that we are referring to is not this preacher, but is the wise man Solomon and the message that he presented before the congregation of Israel. And there's a lot to be learned from Solomon's message in the book of Ecclesiastes. Tonight, the specific lesson is on riches, reflection, and reality. And you see, our consideration of the book of Ecclesiastes is to learn the view of life from a proper perspective. You know, you often hear people today speaking about their worldview. What is their worldview? It's their perspective on life. Solomon has the book of Ecclesiastes to correct one's worldview or one's perspective on life. And Solomon portrays life from its stark realities. That is, no rose-colored glasses. You know, today, if we talk to people about various things, it's very easy for us to paint a beautiful picture, an idealistic view, if you will. But Solomon helps force man to look at life in real terms with all of the ugly parts of it, with all of the reality that goes along with that. It is written from a first-person, experiential, that word I knew was going to tie me up. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to skip it. You can read it on the screen. I'm not going to try again. But from the perspective of experience, he was there. He tried it. He knew what life was about. I, I tried it, and here's what I learned, or learned from my mistakes, point of view. To begin with, we have to understand that wealth and the desire for it is a challenge for most people. We often want to put it from the perspective of the rich people. And you know who the rich people are. It's always those who have more than I do. And yet, as we look at life in its reality, those of us who are here tonight are in the prob probably in the top 5% of this world, of the whole world. So many people would consider us the rich. But it's not just that one has wealth that is the problem, but it can also be the desire for it. The fact that we have this wish to be rich, the wish to be able to have all the blessings of life. Let me illustrate it to you from Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verses 9 and 10 he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Solomon is going to deal with the same perspective that Paul did with Timothy. This desire for riches, the love of riches that man may have. 
But you know, when Paul wrote Timothy, he understood that some of those people to whom he was speaking would also have much. And so he addresses them in verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So it's not just the desire for riches, but a person has to have the proper perspective of them if they possess them as well. And Solomon allows one to see the reality of riches. So this evening what we will look at is verses 4 through 11 of chapter 2, and we're going to look at riches from Solomon's perspective. Then beginning with verse 12, going through verse 23, we will look at how he reflects back on them. And then finally, in verses 24 through 26, we will look at the reality that man must possess with regards to these things. Let's begin, first of all, with verse 1. Caleb read those for us just a few moments ago. But focus with me, if you will, on verses 1 and 2 as we set this up. I want to try it. I want to see. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also is vanity. I'm going to test. I'm going to try and see what this will bring about. Look at verse 2 carefully. What does it accomplish is his question. He said, I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? You think of everything that you do in life. What does it accomplish? All the effort that you put in for various things. What does it bring about? What does it accomplish? And so with that thought in mind, let us look at verses 4 through 11 as Solomon through real eyes looks at the riches that he possesses. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens, orchards. I planted all kind of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Now looking at verses 10 and 11. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the reward from all my labor. Then I looked on the works of my hands had done, and all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for wind, there was no profit under the sun. Now, the first question I want to begin with in looking at what Solomon said is, what do people do with riches? You know the answer to that. They buy stuff. It doesn't matter whether you're living in 2012 or you lived 1512 B.C. What do rich people do with the wealth that they acquire? They buy things. Just look at today. I certainly don't advocate playing the lottery. But you know people who on television have won the lottery. What do they do just as soon as they win $10 million? They go out and buy a brand new high-end vehicle. They'll buy their house. They'll buy jewelry. They'll buy anything that is for sale. What about those who inherit wealth? And Solomon is going to address that subject. Quite frequently, I've seen older folks who are misers. They'll pinch every penny. They'll put every penny they can back. They leave it to their children or their grandchildren. And you know what happens very quickly? I can tell you about an elderly couple that I know personally that many of you would know as well. They were very miserly in their older age as well. They left it to their nieces and nephews. All of them went out and bought them brand new Continental Town Cars within weeks of receiving it. What happens to people with riches? They buy lots of stuff. They buy nice stuff. What about those who make lots of money? And there's nothing wrong with a person working hard and making money. But you know what they do with it? They buy stuff with it. Well, let's go back to this passage again. What did Solomon get? He tells us houses. Not singular, plural. Solomon built big houses, beautiful houses. How do I know that? And I'm not going to go through each one of these individuals. I just want to take the first one and sort of give you a perspective on what he said. You go back to 1 Kings chapter 7. But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house. So he finished all his house. That's just verse 1. 13 years. That's a big house. That's a nice house that he built. He also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits, with four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars. The length was 150 feet long. The width is 75 feet wide. The height is 45 feet tall. Absolute height of this ceiling is 23 feet. Twice the height of this room right here. 
That's just the house of the forest of Lebanon. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. He also made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits. Its width was 30 cubits. In front of them was a portico with pillars. And the canopy was in front of them. Then he made a hall for the throne, the hall of judgment where he might judge. And it was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. Drop down with me to verses 9 through 11. All these were of costly stones cut to size, trimmed with saws inside and out from the foundation to the eaves and also on the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, large stones, some ten cubits and some eight cubits, and above were costly stones hewn to size and cedar wood. And you know where the cedar came from? All the way from Lebanon. What does that tell you? Solomon had a lot of money, and he put money into building himself a big, beautiful home. No, that's not correct. Homes. Plural. That's what rich people do. He built vineyards, gardens, and orchards. Vineyards, grapes. Gardens, vegetables. Orchards, he specifically says, I planted fruit trees of all kinds in them. He had the apples. He had the oranges. He had all other kinds of fruit that you could imagine on those fruit trees. Just think of what Solomon had made. And he didn't do the work himself. It's not as if Solomon went out there and dug in the vineyards. It's not as if he went out and planted and weeded the gardens. It's not as if he went out to prune the trees. He said, I bought men, or male and female, servants. I even had servants born to me, he said. He said, I had a lot of possessions as well. In fact, in those days, you measured a man's wealth not just by gold and silver, but by his flocks. You know, Genesis 13.1 says that Abram was very rich in cattle, gold, and silver. Notice, cattle, first thing listed. He said, I have flocks, herds, special treasure, gold, silver. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I read to you that he didn't have much silver because silver wasn't worth much in those days. Every vessel that he had in his house was made out of gold. Then he said, I got male and female singers. The delight, the sons of men. You know, today we've got our iPods and we buy the music. That we... But he had live performances. He didn't buy recorded stuff. He had live singers and he had every kind of musical instrument that could be thought of because Solomon was wealthy. Money can buy you a lot of stuff. And Solomon said, I tried it all. I want you to see that perspective because he wants you to see life as it really is. And then Solomon had a claim to fame. He was the richest more than any who were before him in Jerusalem. 
Look at again verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. Solomon said, anything I wanted, I got. But was it worth it? Did it make him happy? You ask a person who gets all this stuff, well, is this meaningful? Look at verse 11 with me again. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on all the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity, grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. That's a pretty stark description of what you got from it. Just carefully look with me. Vanity. The word vain means empty, unsatisfying. When you get it, he's saying, did it really satisfy you? No. Grasping for wind. That's elusive. You know, that's a, a figure, an idiom, if you will. Trying to grasp the wind. You reach out and the wind's blowing real hard. You try to grab a hold up and stop it. You can't do that. It's elusive. No profit. No real lasting benefit. Solomon's perspective of riches now really does not give us such a wonderful view of them, which is going to lead us to reflection. Because Solomon is now going to turn and reflect on all of that as a whole, as a picture, if you will. And reflection can be good. Let's say a person's worked real hard to acquire a college degree. Is it good to reflect on it? Well, sure it is. Sometimes you can say, did I do it right? Did I put the effort into it that I should have? Did I get out of it what I intended to get out of it? I will tell you, sometimes when you sit down and you say, I spent how much for this degree? Now, what am I going to get out of it? What benefit is it really going to be to me? Is it going to be a lasting benefit? I think most of us would say, hopefully a college education would be of lasting benefit to us. But Solomon is looking for these riches and he's got to reflect upon them. And I want you to notice he will reflect on his quest. Because it's not always about what you get in the end. A lot of it is about what you're pursuing. It's just like when Paul talked to Timothy about those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. Okay, now let's look with me at verses 12 through 23. I know that's a little lengthy reading, but there's some great principles found in this section. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. 
Yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it so also, or it also will happen to me. Why was I then the more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there's no remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that is now, or now is, will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore I hated life, because the work done, that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled under the sun and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turn turned my heart and despaired for all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has a man for all his labor and for all the strivings of his heart in which he has toiled under the sun, for all his days are sorrowful, and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. To consider. That's to reflect. What does all this mean, Solomon said? Let me look at it. Let me look at the perspective of what's it going to do for me now? What's it going to do for me in the future? He evaluates wealth and its enjoyment. And in verse 12 he says, What can the king do? Only what's been done before him. Do you think that you're somebody special? Oh, I have acquired this amount of dollars. I've acquired a beautiful house. Well, so what? So other people have done that as well. Do you think you're special? He said, I looked at it and realized I've not done anything but what other people have already done. And people after me are going to do. Wealth with worldly wisdom ends exactly the same way for the fool. Both are going to die. Let's say, for instance, I'm really smart, I'm really wise, and I work really hard, and I make a lot of money, and I get cancer. Can that money, can that intelligence save a man? How's he going to die? Just like the man who squandered every penny he's ever been given. That's going to happen to everybody. It prompted Solomon to say, I hated the life and the labor. Why? 
because it must be left to another one. I worked for it, but he's going to get it. Of what value then is it for me if I work real hard, make a lot, and then have to leave it to somebody after me? In fact, he goes on to point out, in the end, everything is left to one who didn't work for it, and this only brought sorrow, burdens, and gave no rest. And he even asks the question, who knows that the person where I'm going to leave it to is going to be wise or a fool? Solomon reflects and he says, when you look at it from that perspective, working for wealth is not all that profitable. It doesn't accomplish that much. Which brings me to the third part of Solomon's evaluation of life, putting it in perspective. This is real, folks. This is not just idealistic. This is people who work hard every day. They go to their jobs. They make their money. They pursue things in life. After considering what riches can buy and what profit they bring or do not bring, then you have to deal with the reality. And here's what he says in verses 24 through 26. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner... He gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for wind. Now I want you to look at what Solomon says. He says nothing is better. Or we would rephrase it, this is the best that one can do. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. This is God's gift. God blesses you, what should you do with it? You should enjoy it. It's God's gift to you. It's his blessing to you. Now I'm going to jump ahead for just a second and tell you that verse 26 makes it clear that there's a difference between a good man and a bad man. But God blesses you, eat, drink, enjoy it. Give us this day our daily bread. Did God expect you to be able to enjoy that daily bread? Most certainly. He asked the question, who could enjoy it more than I? I will tell you there's a textual variant here. That is, some manuscripts, and most notably all the old translations, instead of saying more than I, say apart from him, that is apart from God, which I believe is perhaps the correct translation here. Who could enjoy this apart from God? Who could enjoy the blessings? Everything has to be viewed from the perspective of this is what God has given me. He's blessed me with that. That's the reason why God designed work. He designed from work should be a blessing. You don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the corn. 
There should be some motivation for you in it. And then he contrasts in verse 26, the good versus the sinner. The good man is trying to please God. You see, back in verse 24 is the very first time he mentions God in this whole discussion. And the reason why he mentions God is because he's saying, this is the way God intended it to be. This was God's plan, if you will. Now, verse 26, he says, the difference is God expects and has ordained that the righteous enjoy the good that they have worked for. And the sinner is going to work for it and he's going to collect it and give it to the good. So what should we be? Good folks. Good people. One must carefully evaluate the ponderings of the preacher in regards to riches. Not just riches, but all these things he's talking about. And let me tell you, Solomon doesn't gloss it over. He makes it real. Money can't buy everything. Money can't buy you security. Money can't buy you real happiness either. Money can't buy you rest. Money doesn't last. Because when I die, how much am I going to leave? I'm going to leave it all. But money was meant to be enjoyed by those who have acquired it righteously. When you've worked hard for something and you've acquired it honestly, you should be able to enjoy it. Because that's the way God intended this life. And there's definitely a difference between the good and the bad and what they do with what they have. And I will tell you that when you come to the New Testament... It's very clear that those who have are the kind who share with those who are in need. What a great thought to realize that Solomon is able to put life into perspective for us so that we can view what we do while we're here but keep our minds also focused on what life is really all about. And I come back to chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, fearing God and keeping His commandments is what you ought to do. Believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized is the command that you must obey. If you are a child of God and you have problems and struggles in your life with sin, God really wants to help you. But we have to come to Him on His terms and ask. And tonight, if you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.